And the sermon title today is a really offensive sermon, offensive sermon title, and it's Jesus' own words, and it's simply, Deny Yourself. Deny Yourself. In our world today, I don't know if there's anything that could be more offensive. So let's pray and ask denying ourselves. And then we're going to hear from the manliest of all men, Jesus Christ, teaching us about denying ourselves. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of hearing from you. And it was not only the crowd of Caesarea Philippi who needed to hear these words, who needed to be called out of darkness and sin. It's us who have been called out of darkness and sin. And these words still ring true to us today. There are areas of our lives, pockets of our lives, that we need to deny, that we need to change. And I thank you for Andy um, encouraging me to think through what to preach this Sunday and kind of giving me a nudge on this and then for leading me to this passage. And I, I just want to lean into this passage and hear from you today, Jesus. God, I thank you for the families that are here. I thank you for the children that are in here. Help us as parents know how to take what we hear on a Sunday morning or take what they learn downstairs and teach it to them through the week. Help us to challenge our kids with what you have for us, even this morning. And Holy Spirit, just do a real work in our lives today. I trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. Jesus the man. Uh, Jesus, he is the manliest of all men. He is not intimidated by you or by me or by anybody. He is not intimidated, intimidated by anyone. He will speak the truth. He's not insecure. He will not sugarcoat his words for the sake of popular opinion or individual feelings. He is who he is, and he's not insecure about it. He doesn't talk, see the crowd's nervousness, and then begin to stutter and backtrack. I didn't really mean that. You're hearing it wrong. Wait a second. And then reformulate it and make it more palpable to his hearers. He says what he needs to say, and he doesn't say what he doesn't need to say. He's the kind of man that can, do, can endure pain. He's sacrificed for the good of others. He is incredibly tough, the toughest of all men. And he's incredibly kind. And he's the kind of man that can play with kids, and it doesn't weird you out. You know? Some guys, yeah, run around chasing kids. You're like, that's kind of strange. Why is that guy playing with those kids? But Jesus is the kind of guy, he enjoyed playing with kids, and it didn't weird you out. He can engage with the loftiest theological, philosophical, and political theory, and with scientific, scientific discourse. But he can play foursquare four on the parking lot with kids. Foursquare, remember that? Christian school, that's all we did was play foursquare and trench. <laughs> Trench, remember that? Vicki Moore remembers Trench. I dominated games of Trench. If we played Trench right now, you guys would be in trouble. He loves people enough, Jesus, to tell them, to tr tell them the truth, and he doesn't, his palms just don't sweat when he sees people walk away. 
When people don't like what I have to say, it makes me a little nervous. I can get offended, but not Jesus. Today, just like when he first spoke these words, he speaks to us and he speaks to the world. He says some things that are universally unwelcomed. It's not like there were different eras in human history or different pockets culturally or globally that these words were not offensive to. These are universally offensive to anyone and everyone who's ever existed. But we have the option here this morning to be ashamed by Jesus' words or to embrace His words. We have the option here this morning to continue to hold on to our life the way we want it to be or to deny ourselves and step into what truly is life. There are options before us. Even as believers, we hear these words and we're challenged in ways that non-believers are not. But in verse 38, here's how he ends this little dialogue, this discourse here today. We're going to end with this verse and we're going to start where we're going to end. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We don't have the liberty to be ashamed of Jesus' words. I love that Jesus doesn't always qualify the things that he says, he just says it. He's not intentionally offensive. He's honestly offensive. If you're offended, it's not his fault. And if I'm offended, it's not his fault. But we don't have the liberty as believers to look at God's word and to hear Jesus' words and be embarrassed by them. We don't get to be ashamed by Jesus' words. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of what I have to say, if it, if it makes your cheeks kind of turn red and your palms begin to sweat, if you want to hide my words from general public, if you're embarrassed by me, I will be ashamed of you when I come back. So Christians aren't ashamed of Jesus' words. We embrace them. We're changed by them. We accept them. We say, yes, Jesus, you're right. So this morning, we get to listen to him. We didn't get to this in the Gospel of John. John did not record this for us. When we just went through the Gospel of John over the last year, we didn't get this part of Jesus' words. So now we turn to Mark and we look at it. We hear, hear what he has to say. What does repentance and faith, what does becoming a Christian even look like? Look at verse 34. And calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now we have to know, to begin with, whom Jesus is talking to. We're told that he tells the crowd and his disciples the exact same thing. So it goes to the crowd and his disciples. And his words hit the crowd and the disciples in unique ways, just like it does today. His words today challenge the world out there and us in unique and different ways, but they're both applicable. They both come to us with authority. There is nuance, but both come with authority. 
He was speaking to the city of Caesarea Philippi. Remember when Peter and Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, this is the same scene where, where Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, I, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks back and says, it's not you that's revealed this to uh, something, you know, but my Father who is in heaven who's revealed this to you. And he looked at the crowd, and right after this, right before this passage in Mark, he tells Peter to get behind him because he starts talking about this death, and Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. He says, get behind me, Satan, right after all this. But this is happening at Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was a flamboyantly sinful city, not just with internal pride, not just with religious sin. They were externally flamboyant in their sin, in their debauchery, and in their activities. There, is a, they, there was a goat god in the city of Caesarea Philippi, and the way they would celebrate was through um, explicit ways and doing things with each other that were unacceptable and with animals that were unacceptable. It was a wildly, flamboyantly sinful city. And in the midst of a festival, in the midst of this party, Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi and he says to them, to the crowd, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up their cross and follow me. This was a city that accepted all sorts of perversion. Whatever goes, you be you. If it feels good, do it. And Jesus says to that crowd, to that culture, deny yourself. That city took great joy in saying, pleasure yourself. Do whatever you can do to make yourself happy. Jesus speaks to them and says, deny yourself. Okay, when I say Jesus, the manliest of all men, looking to a city like that and calling out to them, deny yourself, his words weren't just impactful to them, it impacts us as well. Anyone who comes to Jesus must come in a certain way. Jesus tells us how to come to him. We don't get to come to him on our terms. He gets to define the terms of how we are going to come to him. In other words, he doesn't say, come to me and figure out the way you want to come to me. He doesn't look to this city and say, hey, if you, like, if, if you like some things I have to say, then find a way to leave this city and follow me. He tells them what to do and how to do it. We come to him on his terms. We don't get to come to him on our terms. It's the same today. He's going to tell them how to do it. One, two, three. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's look at these things individually. Deny yourself. To a non-believing world, there isn't a less popular message. It's the same today. The world, our world, how the scriptures talk about the world, the way things work as if God didn't exist, the world. Human systems and structures built on humanism as if God doesn't exist. The world is built on self-love. Have you noticed in our day there is, there's been an evolution in self-care? So first, self-help books, practical tips, life hacks, how to do life better, that kind of thing. And then slowly things began to evolve and now there's a whole self-everything whole market built on the self. We are to love ourselves, care for ourselves, but we can even forgive ourselves. 
And there's an element of forgiving yourself that can be true and godly. Accept Christ's forgiveness. But that's not what's marketed today. Forgive yourself today is built on this idea God doesn't exist. You can do for yourself what used to take God doing. Now you can just do it. A godless society still has forgiveness. It's just on our own terms. So it's not popular. Be yourself. Love yourself. Forgive yourself. Embrace yourself. Bet on yourself. You be you. You know what's best for you. Don't deny yourself. I, am the, I alone can be happy. And girls, I've not seen anybody in our church reading this book. So I, I don't know if you're reading this book or not. But the, the book that's just huge right now, Girl, Wash Your Face. Okay, if you've seen it, it's like the number one best-selling book right now. And there's some good things in there. It's not all terrible. But the whole thing is built on the idea that happiness is up to you. You've got to go get it yourself. It's, it's your way. Nobody else is going to give you happiness. Nobody else is going to find it for you. You get it yourself. There's some good reviews that I can post even on our Facebook page for that. I did, that's not even in my notes. I'm just thinking about it. But the whole idea is it, it's about you. You're, you take responsibility. Life is about you. Do it your way. If you're going to be happy, it's up to you. This whole idea, the whole world, the whole self-help industry is built on the idea God doesn't exist, you're on your own, so make yourself happy. Do it your way. Forgive yourself. Embrace yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Who you are right now. Non-believing world. Deny yourself. That's not popular. And those words come to a non-believing world, but they also come to us as well. And we're going to see how that challenges us in the room as well here in a second. Deny yourself. Disruptive. So to come to Jesus requires saying, I am wrong. My self is wrong. I will not embrace myself. I can't forgive myself. I just won't be me. I don't know what will make me happy. Because the individual somehow believes, I know what will make me happy. And yet, when individuals get what they believe will make them happy, it lasts for a season. And yes, it may give, Solomon said, I had a good time in Ecclesiastes. I partied hard, drank hard, did all the things. I, I did it. And yeah, I got some good memories. But I found out it's vanity. It's vanity. I had some good times, Solomon says. It just didn't last. It just didn't last. Deny yourself. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death friend of mine quoted that verse this week, and it just stuck with me. And then when Andy said that, I was like, oh, man, that's good. About Mark chapter 8 and self-denial. So to come to Jesus means that we deny ourselves and we just come to him, and it never stops. So Christians, us in the room, as we are not ashamed of Jesus' words, we, for the rest of our lives, are committed to this lifelong work of self-denial. We're the ones who need to change. It's not everybody else that needs to change. It's me. What, how can I change today? What area of my life right now do I need to deny 
and follow Jesus. And everybody in the room, across the board, this rings true for you right now. What area of yourself do you need to deny? And it's going to feel very personal. That's me. Don't ask me, Jesus. It's just who I am. I don't like making a schedule. Right here. Jordan gets nervous if she doesn't make a schedule. I just lift by the seat of my, you know, like, it'll work out. Everything works out. Just, it'll work out. And Jordan's the one who says, it'll work out because other people pay attention to details. That's why it works out. Because other people do the work. Oh, okay. It'll work out. I have to change. Who I am has to change. I'll never be as detail-oriented as some people, but I can't excuse me hurting other people because it's just the way I am. I have to grow, and so do you. What area of your life do you need to deny? Men in particular. One issue that I have not spoken a lot to, but if you're looking at things that you should not be looking at, I always want to be tactful with little ears. But if you're looking for things that you shouldn't, looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, you must deny yourself. You have to. Deny yourself. Those impulses. Oh, oh, yeah, but I'm visual. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. The rest of our life, that is what we do. Self-denial. This may feel or seem okay in the moment, but all sexual sin must be denied. Ladies, deny yourself. Deny yourself. That sin that comes up over and over again in your life, that notion, I'm not saying all ladies, but many ladies deal with this, if my life looked like this, I would be happy. Deny yourself. The Instagram life, that's so appealing. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. The Christian who engages in this battle and warfare does, does it for the glory of God and the belief that following Jesus and obeying Him, that there's a better life offered than if I just live my life just accepting everything about myself and doing everything about me and looking for people to gather around me and tell me how, how good I'm doing and, and, and just give me affirmation all the time and just gathering a group of peers that will just affirm all my decisions and behaviors. There's a better life for you than a company of peers who just give you flattery. There's a better life. So every day for the rest of our lives, we deny ourselves and we come to Jesus trusting that what he has for us and what he wants for us is better for us. It's best for us. We don't live for our will. We live for his and follow his will. Here's the deal. There is a self. There's a you. Your name, who you are. There's a you that you will never, ever know. The true self, the real you, that God is calling you to be and creating you to be for all eternity, that you will not know in this lifetime if you do not deny yourself. The true self happens through denial of the false self and following Jesus. 
There is a, to quote a great theologian, you can become a better you. There's irony to my statement there. There's a better you. Deny yourself. There's more joy for you than if you just stay living your own way. Take up your cross. So deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? Because none of us here are going to die by execution. None of us here in this room most likely are going to have to take up a physical cross, walk it through a city streets, walk it up to a hill, and experience crucifixion. It's just not going to happen. So how do we follow this command of Jesus? Because this is a command. Take up your cross. And not everybody here was crucified who listened to Jesus that day and who followed him. Some of them maybe had lived to A.D. 70 in the persecution of Rome, maybe actually did experience real crucifixion. But Jesus is speaking about something else than just physical crucifixion, although it could be included in that. What does take up your cross mean? I thought that's what Jesus did. And we'll see that here in a second. Well, well, Piper helps us out here. John Piper says this. What would signify, what this would signify about taking up your cross would be at least four things. At least four things that taking up your cross would signify. It would mean, number one, opposition. It would mean a cross was used to execute criminals who had the state of Rome in opposition to them. So to be crucified, to take up your cross would mean, to, to follow Jesus would mean, taking, taking up your cross would mean that you would be opposed, that there's going to be some opposition that comes. If you are in Caesarea Philippi and just listening that day and to follow Jesus and to leave this city, it means that there's going to be some opposition. There's going to be people in the city that are going to say, you're going to follow that madman? Are you kidding me? Look how much fun we're having. You're going to follow him? You're going to leave everything here in your home, everything you have? You're going to be opposed. And life as a Christian, you can't get around it, will be life, a life that experiences opposition. Secondly, shame. Execution by cross, by the cross, was reserved for the worst of criminals. And the victim was usually exposed on the cross, their bodies, for hours. I mean, it would be pretty embarrassing just to be exposed with no clothes anywhere. I mean, and to be on a cross, to take up your cross, this idea of shame is inherent within the reality of being crucified. So to take up your cross means to follow Jesus, you're willing to be shamed publicly. Third, suffering. This kind of execution was designed to prolong excruciating pain. So to die yourself and take up your cross means to follow Jesus. If it causes me physical pain, I'm okay with that. He's worth it. I'm going to follow him. And fourth, it means death. Death. The aim of crucifixion was death, not torture followed by release. It was death. Jesus, I'll follow you even if it means I have to die. Therefore, Piper says, when Jesus said that the way to follow him was to take up our crosses, he meant at least be willing without murmuring or without cowardice, to be opposed, shamed, suffer, and die, all for your allegiance to Him. So let's consider these just a little bit more. Opposition. To come to Jesus means that Jesus is worth it, even if you're opposed and mocked, even if family members don't understand, even if friends don't understand. Don't understand Jesus is worth being opposed. Even if Christians as a whole, and if you kind of lick your finger and go with the wave of popular opinion and feel the winds that blow, 
To hold certain beliefs in our society today don't get you fanfare. It's not popular to say things like this. Homosexuality is a sin. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Humanity is made up of man and woman. Can you believe that that is opposed? That James is a man and Carol is a woman. And there'd be people who would say, How bizarre. To be a Christian means that you're willing to follow Jesus even if you're opposed. You're okay with that. Jesus is worth it. You look at Jesus, you see Him, and He's worth it, and so you're willing to face shame. Taking up your cross means that you may be mocked, made fun of. If you're an academic, taking up your cross means looking foolish to other academics. If you're a student, to come to Jesus means that Jesus, you see Him, and you see what following Him is going to cost at your school, and you say... Whatever the cost, Jesus is really, he's just worth it. I love him. He loved me and died for me and he calls me to follow him and he's worth me being experienced and experiencing shame and opposition, suffering. Third thing, to follow Jesus means that you're willing to suffer for his sake. Jesus is more important to the Christian than physical pain. Okay. There are people who experience a, a more comfortable life without following Jesus. you realize that? That to follow Jesus doesn't mean that you get to have a more, more comfortable existence than everybody else in the world. Now, it may mean that you do have a very comfortable life. Many believers, in fact, do live very comfortable lives. There's nothing wrong or sinful about comfort. Okay? In fact, I enjoy it a lot. I really enjoy being comfortable. I like heated blankets. And I like a coffee at arm's length. I don't even have to lean up. Comfort isn't a bad thing. But to follow Jesus is saying, if my life is harder because of this, if I live in an area of the world that experiences persecution, Jesus is worth that. And if I experience physical pain because of following Him, may it be. But I'm going to follow Him no matter what it costs. We have friends of ours in a place in the world that are part of our church family here that come to visit. And I can't say them because we're streaming online. But they live, two young ladies that you know, in a place that's hostile to Christianity. And this means something to Christians there. It's not just those in Caesarea Philippi. It's us to consider and to think about physical pain. Is Jesus worth more than that? Take up your cross is to take up a life of joyful pain. You're going to bleed if you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to bleed. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Death. Jesus is valuable enough to die for. Most of us in this room aren't going to be in this situation. Just, it's, just, it's just a statistical fact where we have to die for Jesus. But there's a young missionary just this last week. There's a missionary in the islands of somewhere, I forget, and this, in India, I believe, an island, and he had prepared for years, been praying for this tribe for years, a tribe of about 150 people that were unreached, and he has been mocked, and his name has been dragged through the mud of popular media, and his heart 
was simply that this group of people would know Jesus, and he got arrows through his body, and they killed him. Just this last week. This stuff is still happening today. Jesus is worth it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does follow me mean? This is what it means to come to Jesus. You get in the Bible, and you learn to follow Jesus. What is he like? What does he do? What did his followers do? What are they like? We set the aims of our life at Christ, and we start by the grace of God, trying with everything in us and by grace's motivating power to be more like him. We follow Jesus. This is not just about getting saved and getting our sins forgiven, getting a get-out-of-hell-free card in our back pocket that we can put in our wallet, whatever it may be. To come to him isn't to simply pray a prayer. It's to follow him all the days of your life. So it's more than about just getting saved. Now, upon thinking about what Jesus is asking, okay, Jesus is saying this, and upon thinking about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, we could easily think, like many in the crowd I'm sure did that day, Jesus is asking me to lose my life. He's asking me to lose myself. He's asking me to not live for myself anymore. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to throw my life away. If I deny myself, if I take on my cross, and if I follow Him, it doesn't sound like a very good life. Do you see, the way Jesus calls people to follow Him isn't very... If you're wanting to get a following, you say other things. If you're wanting to turn the world upside down... You say, follow me, and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. But Jesus said, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And we could easily, easily think, that doesn't sound very nice. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't meet my sensibilities. That message will never preach in a world like today. Who would ever follow? Who would ever come? Again, Jesus doesn't blush. He doesn't say, well, I wonder how I can make this, this work in the 21st century. I wonder how they're going to hear this 2,000 years from now in Carbondale, Illinois, or in the cities that we live here in southern Illinois. How are they going to hear it? Well, Jesus anticipates the crowd's concern. He's so compassionate. I love it. He anticipates what they're thinking and what many of us, even now, if we just put ourselves there, could be thinking. He anticipates their concern. Look at verse 35. For whoever would, whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Okay, so let's think through the reasoning of Jesus here. Let's process this. Whoever would want to save their life will lose it. So those in the city, the party and all the extravagance going on, if you want to save that, if you want to save your life, your way, what you want, how your world works, if you want to preserve your existence as it is, you're going to lose your life. It's going to run out. You're going to lose it. If you hear Jesus and reject Him in favor of that life, life my way, you'll lose it. This isn't just speaking of this life. 
This is speaking of eternity as well. You're going to lose life. You will never make yourself happy. And one day, you will end this life and you will lose everything for eternity. But, if you lose your life, lose what you're holding on to. Remember, he's just standing. There's just crowds. If you'll lose that, Lose life your way. If you'll quit life your way. And for the sake of Jesus and His gospel, if you'll do that, you'll save your life. Real life can come. Real adventure. Real life for eternity can come your way. Life is found both in this life and the next through losing our life to gain a better life. Losing our life, losing what feels like our very self to be introduced to a new self and a new life. Losing what feels like our very life. What I'm comfortable with, what I want, what I, what I enjoy, what I want God to do for me. Losing that makes you step into real life. The real you. You being changed into more of what He has for you. If you have Jesus, in other words, you have real life. Come opposition, shame, suffering, death. If you have Jesus, you have life. And by the way, you find yourself. And all that searching for self that this world does. All in here. If you look for yourself in here, you'll never find yourself. Ever. So there's a question then in verse 36. There's a question posed in verse 37 as well. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Here's a question that Jesus gives. What good is it if you get this whole world, you make it to the top, you climb the highest mountain in your organization, You're the CEO. You've got all the money, all the fame, everything in this world you need. Say you strike it rich and you end up being a YouTube sensation or something. That's what apparently kids want to be on YouTube today. Kids don't play sports anymore. They just are out playing. I sound like a a grumpy old guy today, I think. But uh, so, and I've got my, I did have my, uh, I did have my planner up here in my front pocket. And I was like, it looks a little bit too much like a pocket protector. And uh, so I better put that back here. So, so maybe you strike it rich. Maybe you make it big. Maybe you get fame. Maybe you find your fortune. What does it profit if you get everything and you lose yourself and you lose your soul? What win is there if you're all alone with all your money and you make it to the top, but nobody cares about you and nobody loves you and you don't know God? And God doesn't know you. What, what's it profit? Jim Carrey, <laughs> he says some pretty eccentric things. But he gets this thing right. Here's what he says. And you're thinking, yes, Jim Carrey. Dumb and dumber, Jim Carrey. He says this, I think everyone 
should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. There's a pretty explicit documentary on Netflix by Jim Carrey, so if you do watch it, be alarmed. But he is in there, and it's a sad, sad, sad tragedy, but in that he said, I've been able to do everything I've wanted in my life. Anything I've thought about that I've wanted to do, it just happened. <laughs> Anybody else in this room's existence that way? Just everything you just thought of, just, oh, just, just there it is, it happens. He's miserable. And you just, in that documentary, you just want to weep for him. It's just, <sighs> Jim, you ever seen that video clip of Tom Brady? I'm a Patriots fan, sorry. Tom Brady won three Super Bowls, and he's interviewed on CBS. And they ask him, what's next? What's next? You've married Giselle. You've got this family. You've won three Super Bowls. And he said, you know, many people would say, Tom, you've made it. You've made it to the top. You won three Super Bowls. And he says something so profound, almost prophetic. Why is it that I have all this, and I still feel like there's something more? That it's just not enough. And you just want to weep for him and say, Tom, what does it profit the world if you gain? What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? He's got everything, and yet he's saying there's got to be something more. And this is this, this is Jesus. He's saying, What is it? What does it win? You, Caesarea Philippi, if you gain everything your way and you do it your way and you succeed, what happens when you succeed? And it still doesn't satisfy. What, what does it profit you? And to the believer, the lies that we hear we get inundated with, and it comes even into Christian culture, do it your way. You know what's best for you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. What does it profit if you get everything? If you get God to do everything you want him to do for you, what does it profit you? God is not your puppet that you get to pull a string this way and this way, and finally you'll unlock the life that you've always wanted. What does it profit? The question goes out. But Jim, Jim Elliott, another Jim, we'll hear from two Jims today. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, said, said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what what he cannot lose. You see what the people in that crowd didn't know that day, and we don't know the response. We don't know if anybody followed, but we don't know, as Jesus said those words, we don't know what people responded with. But here's what I know. As we say, I sit here with you, and as we're partying with Caesarea Philippi, they can't keep this. They can't keep it. The festival ends. They grow older. You realize that there's some things in life, these people, they knew, but there's things you can do when you're younger that you can't do when you're older. You know, I could play trench when I was younger. If I played trench today, and I'm younger than many of you in this room, if I played trench today, I promise you that my joint, trench is an outdoor game with kids. My joints would be sore, my back would be sore, my arm would be sore. Can you imagine throwing a, a kickball? Remember throwing a kickball? I could, use, I could laser a kickball and hit people in the head. I'd always try to hit people in the head. You, know, you act like you're not, but... You know, you hit somebody in the head, you just, man, all right, you know. And if you just went out and threw a kickball today, you know how sore arm my sore would be? Just throwing a kickball 15, 20 times? Oh, my gosh. 
We have softball season. Softball season comes, and I throw a softball, and the next day I wake up. I'm like, oh, what is wrong with me? You know, falling apart. He is no fool who gives up. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. It's not going to last. Who gives up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Well, what can you not lose? Well, apparently, what Jesus offers is something that you will never lose. It'll never be lost. It'll always be right there. It's real life. Real eternity. The real you begins to emerge. What this world teaches you to do is continue to implode on yourself. Love yourself. Get people to approve yourself. You're never challenged to deny yourself. Stop living that way. It's better if we get challenged to not live the way we just want to live. We become somebody else, somebody God is calling us to be. Take up your cross. The question, God gave us life. I was reading a, a, a commentary this week by a guy who's not even a Christian. He's a universalist, and he actually de- denied that Jesus was the Son of God. I'm not even going to tell you his name for the fact that I don't want you to go look him up, but this was really good. God gave us life to spend and not keep. If we live carefully, always thinking first of our own profit, our own ease, our own comfort, our own security, if our sole aim is to make life as long and as trouble-free as possible, if we will make no effort except for ourselves, we are losing life all the time. But if we will spend life for others, if we will forget health and time and wealth and comfort in our desire to do something for Jesus and for the men for whom Jesus died, we are winning life all the time. If you really want to live, if you really want life in this world and the next, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. So let's step back and let's chew on a couple things. Just for a couple minutes. As we hear Jesus' words, I I think, okay, when I I became a Christian at five years old, I didn't know what this meant. Take up my cross and follow me. A little boy. I've never experienced persecution. I've experienced maybe a little bit of shame. High school sports. I was the kid that didn't cuss. So... I know even to this day as a spirit-filled man, there's times I don't deny myself. I indulge. I don't live a life of complete self-denial. I want other people to do what I want them to do. Is anybody in the same boat as me? Here's the boat I'm in. If people would just listen to me, this world would be a better place. You in that boat? If people would think the way I think and do what I do and would be as humble and nice and generous as me, boy, this world would just be a lot better. And the choices that people make, those boneheaded morons, if people just make the choices that I make, and I live in such a way that it's just this self-absorbed kind of thing, and I can fall into this and just... Instead of denying myself, I want everybody just to, yep, Jared, your ideas and your thoughts, they are the best. You know what? We're going to live the way you live. 
<laughs> Finally. <laughs> or instead of me denying myself, I will want others to deny their self for my benefit. And then think ugly things about the people who won't do that. I can't believe you're asking that of me. Football's on, babe. I don't want to take the trash out. Now that's trivial, but it's so much more than trivial. It's not. Do you find yourself more often than not wishing that everybody else would deny themselves for you? Or, or do you live to deny yourself for others? So I, I bump into this problem as I think about these things. I bump into this problem because... Still yet, as I think about Jesus' words, there's times in my life through the Holy Spirit's power, there's some self-denial and there's some growth and there's following Him. Whatever it costs, Jesus, whatever it costs. But I find myself, even as I hear this, all too often wanting to satisfy myself. Thinking about Christmas and people say it's better to give than receive, but I just love receiving. I love getting gifts. Probably too much. I don't know. If you want to get me something, i got a long list of things that... I love receiving gifts. And there's seasons in our lives when we feel the flesh inside of us beating us up and beating us down, and we just, it's just, oh. There are times we don't do well with opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Sometimes we follow what we want instead of what God wants. Instead of following Jesus, we sometimes follow the world. There are times when what feels right to me and what seems right to me, you know what, by golly, that's just what I'm going to do. Sounds better. I want what I want. At times, we doubt God and we have great trust in ourselves. So we need to be reminded of something this morning. Jesus fulfilled all that He commanded of us. We can't opt out of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him, but I want you to hear what Jesus did. Jesus denied Himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read it. If you want to turn there and you're quick, you can, I guess, but... Well, where, where am I at? I wrote it down wrong. Man, I hate that because the flow was going good. That was going to go really good right into that. Anyways, Jesus humbled himself. Where is that passage? It's in Philippians. Oh, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at 3, chapter 3. That's what it is. Now, chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to also the interest of others, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, not by emptying his divinity, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of his servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus denied himself in humility. He did what He commanded us to do. He denied Himself. Jesus then took up His cross. 
the truly innocent one endured the shame that should have been our shame. He endured opposition, suffering, and death as well. He died in the place of those who will never fully deny themselves enough. Even with the Holy Spirit's power, we still self-indulge at times. And yet Jesus denied Himself, took up His cross, and He followed His heavenly Father. He followed the Father's will. John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus did what He commanded us to do. So today, right now, what does this mean? Does this mean we can just be easy with self-denial? Or taking up our cross and following Him because of what Jesus did for us? It does not. Today, you are free. You don't have to deny Him or deny yourself perfectly. You don't have to take up your cross Perfectly. You don't have to follow Him perfectly. That burden can be laid aside. Only one person ever did this. But Jesus' words, they do not encourage us to be apathetic in our pursuit of Jesus. In our pursuit of Christ's likeness. We must move. It's us who must deny ourselves. It's us who must take up our cross today. Now, follow Jesus. So what area of your life today do you need to deny? What area of your life do you need to deny today? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. For the non-Christian, for those who are in Caesarea Philippi, who weren't following Jesus, will you, if you're in the room, non-Christian, imperfectly deny yourself today? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Will you repent of yourself and your trust in yourself and then turn to Jesus and trust in Him? This is what repentance and faith looks like. That's what repentance and faith looks like with skin on. Self-denial. And coming to Jesus. And saying, Jesus, it's your way now. It's my way no longer. What part of ourselves do we need to deny and believe God for today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you say what you say. And you let us sweat it out. <laughs> You're not swayed by the wave of popular opinion. You are who you are. And it's up to us to mold ourselves and be changed around you. Not come to you and say, Jesus, would you stop saying that kind of stuff? Would you change a little bit? And so, Jesus, your words, they hit us today in the best sort of way. Father, I thank you for the grace and the mercy that is in Christ Jesus. Help us as we sing. Change us. Mold us. Shape us. Help us to discover who we really are and who you really are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Thank you.